Today is going to be an awesome day because we are kicking off a new series called Sacred Cows. Right? Okay. And, 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 you know, it's just appropriate that I was talking with my buddy uh, Carson and Bodale yesterday, and um, we decided that I needed to wear my cowboy boots for sacred cows because you can't kill sacred cows in Jordans. So I said, okay, I got my boots on today, so we, we're going to do, do some work. And if you don't know what a sacred cow is, that's okay. You, you'll find out. While our kids are getting and, and, and finding their spots and getting settled, if you would go ahead and stand with me today. We're going to pray together. We're going to make some declarations, and we're going to get ready and prepare our hearts to receive all that God has for us. All right, let's pray. Awesome God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Give me a heart to receive and a mouth to confess all of the great things that you have already provided for me. Amen. So today I am, you can have a seat, today I am excited, but I want, I want to real talk with you for just a second. Venture turned seven years old in last September, and, and, and I, that was that date was significant for me, and I began praying, God, what do you have for us, not for the next seven years, but, but, but for forever. For the longest time, I felt like we were struggling to, to nail down an identity for who we were and the message that we would bring, and obviously, we, you know, we preach the Bible, but, 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 but how are we going to... What what is God really calling us to do? And I and I reached out to some friends and pastors that that are around Texas and really around the country, and they've been praying along with us. And and when we when we started 2020, I said 2020 is going to be different. And we kicked off with Super Dream, which was kind of your intro to the newness of what venture is going to be in the season that we're in. And and, and that was like a soft entry point for where we're going today and I, and I want to establish something with you real quick and, and it will begin to make sense what I'm saying over the next six weeks so make sure that you are here every Sunday okay if you do miss you will be missed but we have a great team uh, Jonathan takes care of our media and makes sure that it's posted on YouTube and, and, and our podcast and if you don't know where to find all that information talk to me and we'll, we'll hook you up we'll make sure you know where to find it but Venture is a gospel of grace church we, 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 are, we believe that when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he meant it, that it was finished. Not that his task was complete, but that sin and death was done once and for all. And when we choose to believe that and we choose to live that way, we get to receive that abundant life. And with a new covenant comes a new language. And that's something that I'm going to be harping on a little bit today. And you're going to see that occasionally when I talk about new language, it's like, Curtis, you're splitting hairs. Curtis, you're just looking for something. Yeah, I am. Because language creates culture and culture creates identity. If the language of your home is dysfunction, then your home's identity is going to be what? Dysfunctional. Okay. So language creates culture and a new covenant requires a new language. I've told our worship team, we're not going to sing sad, lonely, longing love songs anymore. Okay, we're looking for new covenant songs and new covenant language. And so we're going to speak and sing those types of songs. A friend of mine texted me something yesterday, and, and, I, and I love it. I'd seen it on Facebook before, and maybe you've seen it before. But it says something like this. It says, I'd rather attend church with messed up people who love God than religious people who dislike messed up people. 
Okay? I love that statement. But even in that statement, I saw something. Why? Because I'm looking for new language. I saw something, and I said, even this statement on its own doesn't speak new covenant language. It has a little bit of grace. It has a little bit of law. It has a little bit of new covenant, a little bit of old covenant, even mixed into that statement, which I absolutely love that statement. But here's what I see. I'm not messed up anymore. When I say yes to Jesus, I'm not a messed up person anymore. Okay? I am the righteousness of Christ. I might not act like it sometimes. Okay? I might not act like it sometimes. I'm going to tell a story on Riley, and she's going to beat me up later. But we were up here working at the church because my kids serve and work hard at the church. And she had the chairs turned, you know, back to back kind of. And she was had her arms up like this, and she was swinging. And we know we don't do that because eventually you're going to swing a little too high, a little too hard. You're going to fall flat. Okay, and that happened. And my sweet little Riley Claire, who's glaring at me so hard right now, I didn't actually know that she was going to be in here when I wrote this down, but I got to share it. She, she was swinging and she fell flat and she knocked the breath out of herself. And this is the first time that's ever happened to her. Who's ever knocked the breath out of yourself? And you know that panic? And you can only make noises. You can't even say words. And so she's laying on the ground making dinosaur noises. And, and I go and I pick her up and lay her on. And I say, you know, put your hands above your head. She's like, can I sit down? You know, she's just trying to get it out. And I said, no, just put your hands above your head. You got to open up your lungs. You that, blood, that flow, that flow, that flow. And finally she gets over it. And we're in the car later. And she goes, she goes, I would have, I would have, it hurt so bad, I would have said a cuss. <laughs> and I said, she said, but there was two reasons why I didn't say a cuss. I said, what, what are those two reasons, Riley? And she said, one, I was in the Lord's house, and two, I couldn't breathe, so I couldn't say anything anyway. <laughs> so sometimes we are, but we don't act like it, right? And you know what, Riley? I probably would have said a cuss, too. No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, a cuss in our house might be different than a cuss in your house. It's just established, okay? <laughs> cuss words in our house are, are PG most of the time. Um, so what I'm trying to, long story short, new covenant requires a new language. And so I want you to begin to look for those things. When you read your Bible, start to divide God's word and say, who is Jesus talking to? Is he talking to me post-cross? Is he talking pre-cross? What, what is he talking about? And we as a church are going to be able to dive into that and begin to rightly divide God's word in a new way. And I was telling somebody this morning that this is, a, this is like a 1% message. This is a 1% way of doing things. And I think you're going to see why and how. Okay, We're, our key verse today is Hebrews 10, 1 through 12. It's long, so I don't have it on the screen today. But if you want to look it up, I'm reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. Hebrews 10, 1 through 12. Everything I just told you before, that's free. You don't have to pay for that, and it has very little to do with what we're talking about now. So, okay, Hebrews 10, 1 through 12. All right. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. So we know that the Moses had the Ten Commandments, and he had a bunch of other laws as well, known as the Mosaic laws, and there was, there was, there was countless laws that people were having to try to keep to stay close to God. And what is being said here in Hebrews is that that old system was just a shadow. It wasn't really showing good things. Okay, continuing on. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again because you would have to go and make an animal sacrifice repeatedly to atone for your sins and the things that you had done wrong. They were done year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. They could have provided perfect, 
that if they could have provided, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. So that tells me, even as they were sacrificing, guilt was on them, and shame was on them. But instead, those sacrifices... <coughs> Sorry. Instead... Those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. So they were constantly reminded. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into this world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then he said, look, I have come to do your will, O God. For as it is written about me in the scriptures, first Christ said, you did not want animal, wait, hold on, where am I at here? Let me make sure I'm good. Okay, yeah. First Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. And in verse 9 he says, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put in a second one into effect right there. He says, I have come to do your will. And then he said, look, I have come to, uh, I've come to do your will. Uh, ten. I'm, I'm so far. Okay, ten. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. And under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again, and again, which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but our high priest, who is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Okay, what, what is all that saying? It's saying this, that there was a time when, when physical animal sacrifices had to be made to atone for sins but when jesus came he said i am doing something different and when he when he gave himself as the once and for all sacrifice he changed everything he was our high priest and it was a sacrifice for sins the bible said it was good for all time so the word of god is awesome okay and when we match the word of god with faith like it says in hebrews 4 2 it, it changes everything hebrews 4 2 says for the good news that god has prepared this rest guys who needs some rest Oh, just a few. Good. I, I'm with you. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. And when it says them, it's talking about people who were still trying to live under an old way, under a law. But it did no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. It's basically saying that if I don't have the faith and I'm going to listen to God, then I'm going to cancel out his word and the power of his word in my life. And I know you might be thinking like, it's not that easy, Curtis. It's like, it, I wish it was, but I believe God's word and I'm doing everything I know to do. But I, I just, I'm spinning my wheels, nothing's happening. Okay, I've experienced this too personally and, and with people that I love and I care about and have sat with. So what's the problem? That, that's what it comes down to. What is the solution? That's a trick question because here it is. Because there's many problems. It's not just a one, a one, one solution thing. But I think that, most of the problems can be summed up by what Jesus said in Mark 7, 13, when he said, you cancel out the word of God in your life. You make the God of no effect in your life, he says, by your tradition, by the things that you're stuck to. And, and, and that's what a sacred cow is. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with traditions as long as they align with the new covenant gospel of grace. But if your tradition is that you constantly have to take hold of everything and get under control of everything and, and, and be the end-all, be-all for your life, if that's one of your traditions, then that's why your problems are what they are. Just one example. But like I said, when Jesus came to the cross, he changed everything. And wrong teaching can make God's word no effect. The most significant revelations I've had in my life have constantly been about me renewing my mind from an old way of thinking. And as much as I hate to say it, I was talking to a friend last night. Many of these old ways of thinking came from ministry school. It came from Bible college and, and studying and just sitting there. And, and I walked away and I felt like so heavy that I didn't want to do anything. I felt so afraid that I'm going to sin and mess up that not only am I going to go to hell, but everyone who's leading, that I'm leading is also going to go to hell. And it's just going to be this, this, this terrible, terrible thing. And, and, I, and I couldn't even move. So I had to spend some time with God and allow him to renew my mind from these old ways of thinking. And I thought to myself, why? Why, why did I walk away in, in that fashion? Why did I feel that heavy? Why is this, why is this message which I believe is the message that Jesus came preaching. Why, why is it so, why, why, do, why, do, why does the world, why, does, why do people push so hard against it? And here's why. It is simple because grace is messy. Think about the cross. That's grace. Grace is messy. It's hard to control a person who's free. I'm going to say that again just to make sure you process that. The law that Moses built was built on fear and control. The law that was provided at that time. If I give you a list of laws that you have to keep, rules that you have to follow, that means that you are controlled. That's why when Jesus came and he said, listen, I'm changing things, it freaked the system out because you cannot control a people who are free. Grace gets very, very messy. In this series, I want you to know is less about killing sacred cows and more about you and I knowing how free we are. And as I found myself freed of traditions and old ways of thinking, the simplicity of God's word set me free. So we're starting this new series, Sacred Cows, and we're going to challenge some traditions that are voiding God's word in our lives. And it's going to be heavy stuff. And I'm going to try to be as gentle as possible, but like I told Jesse this week, I said, I don't think that there's a gentle way to kill a sacred cow. I've had guest speakers literally come and email me before and say, is there any sacred cows that I don't need to talk about? Isn't this language, sacred cows, might not be something you're familiar with yet, but in church circles, pastors, evangelists know these things. Like, do I not talk about this thing because it's going to scare all your people off? We ain't going to do that no more. Okay? I was telling Randy this story this morning. It's kind of like the man who, who had, the, had the cow with the two wooden legs. Has anybody ever heard of that? Nobody's heard that story? Really? Okay. Well, there's a man. He had a cow. He had two wooden legs. And, and uh, another man pulled up, saw it, and said, man, that's a unique cow. He said, Can you tell me about those wooden legs. I mean, I've never seen a cow with two wooden legs. And, and the guy goes, oh, this is a special cow. This is a special cow. He said, he said one day my, my little boy fell in the pond, and the, the cow jumped in and grabbed him by the scruff of his neck and pulled him out. He said, one day I was working in the field, and I, I hurt myself, and I fell down. I couldn't move, and the cow knew that I was hurt and, and ran to my home and alerted my family and led them to me. This is a very important cow. And the guy looks at me and says, that, that still doesn't explain why this cow has two wooden legs. And he said, well, a cow this special, you can't eat all at once. 
Okay, that is not the, you'll get it later. It's like a refrigerator joke. You'll get it later. Okay. Um, it, it, sacred cows can't be done away that way. We ain't going to take it piece by piece, okay? We're just going to kill them, and we're going to deal with the fallout. All right? So this series, I told Jason this last night, it's either going to be the best thing for VCC or it's going to be the scariest thing for VCC because we are going to be challenging some things. Today is light. What we're talking about is, is like light. Like it's your on-ramp into sacred cows. But here is also the lightest, but also what I believe the most dangerous sacred cows in the body of Christ today, and it's this belief that you must focus on overcoming your sins. And you might be sitting there right now looking at that and thinking, you must focus on uncovering your sins. I, th- I thought that was what I was supposed to do. And, and you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll address that, but one could come to the conclusion that, that this statement is the most important subject among believers because it addresses sin. If you walk through a Christian bookstore, you will see widespread popularity of the topic of sin and, and overcoming sin. And if you listen to uh, podcasts or sermons, this, this is a very, uh, it's, just, it's just a popular subject. In sin management, which is what I'm going to call it, it, it often seems to, to, to be the reason for preaching. It, it, it's the reason for small groups. It's the reason for church is, is to manage my sin. It's the goal for many who choose to follow and believe in Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something today. I refuse to be your sin manager. From this point forward, I, I'm never, ever going to be that again. And I'm not going to be the sin manager for your friends or your family. I don't have a, a, a Bachelor of Science in sin management. I want to tell you something else. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, neither do you. Overcoming sinful actions in life consumes the thoughts and energy of most Christians. Trying to do it. They're completely dedicated to stopping the wrong things they do and replacing them with the actions that glorify God. I know you're sitting there thinking like, Curtis, this doesn't sound bad. What is wrong with this thought? What, 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 why are we even talking about this? It, it seems like good little boys are trying to be, I mean, bad little boys and girls are trying to be good little boys and girls. What, what's the problem here? Don't get me wrong. There, there ain't really nothing wrong with it other than this, that, that motives are pure, but the goal and focus are completely misguided. Because when Jesus, what Jesus did at the cross, it changed everything. Sin changed. Everything changed. I can sin simply by not trusting God. I would go as far to say that after the cross, anything I do apart from trusting God wholly when I'm doing it is sin, which means I could plant this church and be in sin if I'm not trusting God every step of the way. I can love my family and be in sin if I'm not trusting God for direction there. I can give to my church and to missionaries and be generous and be in sin if my heart is not aligned with what God is telling me to do. Because it changed everything. And if my motives are pure, but my focus is misguided, it breaks the system. Okay. Scripture, surprisingly, actually doesn't call us to direct our energy and attention towards eliminating sin. In fact, 
this approach is not only ineffective in reducing the sin in our lives, uh, it actually increases wrong behavior in our lifestyles. That's why we're starting here. Y'all are so quiet. That's why we've got to kill this thing. So I want to, I want you real quick, I don't even know what time it is. We good, we good, okay. I want, to, I want you to consider three new covenant truths regarding overcoming sin. Okay, these three truths are going to put this cow down. Look at your neighbor say, put the cow down. Let's try that again. Look at your neighbor, the one you didn't pick first, the, your second choice, and say, put the cow down. Congratulations, second choice people. They were a little louder for you. One, here's the first thing. You must uh, give Jesus your undivided attention. Give Jesus your undivided attention. Okay. To the Colossian church, he wrote in chapter 3, 2, set your minds on things that are above and not the things that are on this earth. Apostle Paul warned the Roman church in chapter 8, 6 to set their mind to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So I would ask you today, instead of focusing on sin and, and giving sin and overcoming sin your undivided attention, what, what could you be giving your undivided attention? And, and even further, what are you giving your undivided attention? Because I, I love sports and, and, I, and I, I, I love almost every sport except hockey. Sorry, Randy, I just I don't get it. You're gonna have to explain it, I don't know. But um, I'll even watch, I'll even watch, what's that, that, that thing where they, what is it, curling? I mean, now I get excited about curling because I think I could be a curler one day. I can never play for the NFL, but I could be an Olympic curler one day because, I mean, there we go. Okay. But there's a huge difference when I'm watching a, a team and, and they're playing to win or they're playing to not lose. And so many of us are living our life focused on sin, playing not to lose. Rather than enjoying the abundant life that Jesus is providing, saying, there's your victory right there. If you were watching a, 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 a competition and you saw a team playing to win and a team playing not to lose, there, there is a stark difference. And when we give... Him, Jesus, our invited, undivided attention, he's going to let us know one simple truth, and, and that's, this is, this is it. He's overcome this world. So why, why do I have to overcome anything? If I am his and he's already overcome it, well, what am I doing? Give him your undivided attention. Two, trust that what Jesus did was good enough. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and I was on the phone, and, and he was talking about our church. And um, this, this was a person who was, who was church shopping, and they just wanted to know about venture. And, and uh, he, he was, he was well-versed, not, not, not somebody who didn't know what they were talking about. And, um, you know, he, he straight up just, you know, began saying, like, well, what, what kind of preaching do you preach? Because I need a preacher who's going to tell me that if I don't straighten up, then I'm going to go to hell. And I said, well, how long have you been in church? Well, I was this long. Are you saved? Yeah. Okay, so you want me to tell you to straighten up or you're going to go to hell? Yeah, okay. And I said, I, I don't do that. I said, I, I, said, I, I don't do that. 
And, and he said, well, it just doesn't sound like you don't, you don't take sin very seriously. And I said, it sounds like you don't take the cross very seriously. It got, it, volumes got up a little bit. Because that's what happens when you talk politics and religion, right? And I knew this person. I said, I take the cross seriously. And the cross is greater than my sin. And the cross has covered it. It has beat it. It has destroyed it. It is done. So I don't do that. Romans 7, 5 actually says this. When we're thinking about trusting, trusting that Jesus, what he did was good enough, Romans 7, Romans 7, 5 says that sinful passions were actually aroused by the law, which means that when we're trying to keep an old covenant way of thinking or a law way of thinking, we are awakening sinful passions in our life. That means that the law, which tells you that you have to do something to overcome your sin, will only awaken more sinful passion in your life. It's, it, it, it's opposite. It's absolutely opposite. So let's take this further. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says this, that the power of sin is in the law. That means that sin has no power in you until you start trying to keep an old way. Because grace, Jesus, this is what he did. He destroyed sin. When I say yes to him, I'm knowing that he demolished it, that he dismantled it, that he wrecked it, that he ravaged it, that he crushed it, that he devastated it, that he finished it. And, the, and, and, and that power of sin is non-existent for those that are called according to his name. Those that have said, you know what, I choose Jesus. There is no power of sin, so you don't have to overcome it. Hebrews 10, 1, 3 says this. Since the law was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who approach. Otherwise, would they not have ceased being offered? Since the worshipers cleansed once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year after year. You might be thinking, I don't make animal sacrifices, Curtis. I don't know what kind of freaky stuff you're talking about, but I don't do that. Okay, probably true. But uh, what, are, you, are you sacrificing time, effort, and energy trying to do what he has already done? Trying to live an abundant life when he's like, just receive it, guys. I had Poppy up here the other day, and... And I, and I gave him my phone, and I said, ask me to give, you know, hold on, I want to show you one more time just in case you missed it. Jesse, come up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't describe it. you got to see it, and if you already saw it, you need to remember. Okay? Here, have my phone. So, ask me for my phone. She already has it. Okay? She's received it. It was a gift. I already gave it to her. So, what's the appropriate response when I give you something? Thank you. It's the same thing with God. We don't have to continue. Thank you. Give her a, a, a wonderful, like, round of applause. Okay. So, so that's, you must not have done a very good job because, like, a quarter of the people clap for you. So that, that's what I'm talking about. We are wasting our time, our energy. So we are making sacrifices. They don't have horns, but they are sacrifices, trying to do what he has already done. The law couldn't make me perfect and righteous, so Jesus came to make me perfect and righteous, and he did it once and for all. Hebrews 10.4 says that it's impossible for any of those things to take away my sins. And it's impossible for you to do anything to overcome sin. You're either in one of two places. You either accept him, and in him he has already eradicated sin, 
Or two, you're trying to overcome things that no longer exist in your life. It's impossible for your works or anything you do to lead you to salvation, freedom, or abundance. Absolutely impossible. Could the worship team work their way back up here, please? And thirdly, how do we, how do we squash this thing? How do we kill this thing? We start enjoying the favor of God because of our privileged position in Christ. Start enjoying the favor of God because of your privileged position in Christ. Hebrews 10, 11 through 12 says, And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I'm going to challenge you with the thought, when Jesus died on the cross, what sins did he die for? All of them. Were you there? No. So it was, everything was future at that point. All of your sins. He died once and for all for all of your sins. He finished them. And Ephesians 2, 6 says that God raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. I say it this way a lot, and I, and I, hope, I don't know that you've caught it, but I say when he died for me, he died as me. When he rose, I rose. I have, we sang it last week, and because of that, it says that I am united. It says that I am seated in heavenly realms right now. We sang it last week. I have a seat at the table. I'm there, guys. Romans 6:11 says, Reckon yourself dead to sin. I don't focus on overcoming sin. I'm a believer. I have overcome sin. I'm a believer. I lift my eyes. I don't focus on what's I don't focus on that bad thing. I lift my eyes. I'm a believer. He has my undivided attention. I'm a believer. I trust that what he has done is good enough. I'm a believer. My position is one of privilege. And I enjoy the favor in my life. Look at your neighbor and say, lift your eyes. You get it? All right, lift your eyes. So listen, I have been, let me, let me be transparent. I've lived with, with thoughts of past wounds and, and those things have poisoned me and, and made me resentful. And they put me in a constant state of self-pity and, and, and constant state of comparison. And I've lived in a place where my past sins, and, and there were many, they would constantly bring me deep shame. And I've believed that I've failed God. And, 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 I, and, I, and I constantly was in this state of operating in ministry where I felt like I was letting him down. Before this place was full and we were sitting there and there was only 10 people every Sunday, I walked away and I felt bad. Not because I felt like I wasn't doing a good job, but because I felt like I was letting God down because the place wasn't packed with people who were lost. I constantly believed that I had to do something to impress Him. To do something more. To overcome and be, be a better little boy. Right? And it was never enough. What I could do was never enough. And I'm going to tell you that today, I'm not that person anymore. Why? Because grace sets us free. That's why. 
It sets us free from the past and it gives us a new eyes, new ears, and new language for the present and the future. And then when the revelation of God's limitless love sweeps over you, you really have a choice. You can shake your head at him and you can, you can shake your head at his tender love and you can continue to trying to make life work on your own or you can take a deep breath, take God's hand, thank him for what he's done and look forward to the adventure that you're going on with him every single day. I get to make that choice every single minute of every single day, guys. You do too. When you call, if you call him Lord, if you call him Savior, you do too. And there, there are two truths to the justification in Jesus. One, I am completely forgiven when I say yes to him. When I confess with my mouth and I believe with my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and he was raised from the dead, I am completely forgiven. And also, I have imputed righteousness. What that means is that righteousness is ascribed to me by virtue by some to someone by virtue of a similar quality in another that means that i'm righteous because he's righteous not because of me his righteousness is on me i'm righteous because he is like i said i don't always act like it i still have the capacity to do the wrong thing i still have the capacity to not trust in him but he loves us so much that he does give us that freedom and he does give us that choice and when we choose to believe we got a front row seat to taste and see all that he has stand with me real quick in the old testament there were prophets who would speak of the coming messiah the coming god the coming thing and i, I, I didn't actually put this in but i believe it's in first peter 10 12 and this is from the message translation peter's talking about this and he said the prophets who told us this was coming talking about jesus they asked a lot of questions about the gift of life God was preparing. The Messiah's spirit let them in on some of it. That the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when. All they were told was that they were serving you. And when it says you, it's talking about you. You who by orders from heaven have now heard for yourselves. Through the Holy Spirit, the message of those prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. So I got to ask you this morning, do you realize how fortunate you are? Not to hear from Curtis Ribble, but to hear from Jesus. There were people who clamored to know more. And we have it all. Would you close your eyes? I want to pray with you real quick. We're going to close in a time of worship. You don't have to overcome anything. He's taken care of it. He has covered it all. Father, we lift our eyes and we focus on you today. God, we praise you. God, we worship you. God, we give you our undivided attention. God, we trust that what you did on the cross was enough, God, and we recognize our privileged place at your table. God, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you that we do have the opportunity to come in and speak. And God, I pray that as we go through this series that you would open up our eyes to see. 
that you would open up our ears to hear, that you would open up our hearts to receive and our mouths to confess all that you have already done and all of the good things you have for us. God, we thank you that you have overcome and because you have, we have. God, if there's anyone here who does not know you, who, 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 who hasn't experienced that freedom that is found in saying, yes, God. God, I pray you would surround them now and begin to speak to them about their new identity that can be found in you. God, we praise you. We thank you that you have done it, that it is finished, and we get to live in that. Lead us to you.